Recently, I had a series of unplanned admissions to hospital. This resulted in a couple of unexpected opportunities to witness to fellow patients regarding my Christian faith. The responses varied, but we can all learn lessons from the reasons they gave for their unbelief. The first opportunity involved a discussion with two men, the guy in the bed next to me, I'll call guy A, and the guy diagonally across from me, which we'll call guy B. Guy A, in his late 60s, was a tough manual worker on a country estate farm. He was recovering from a heart attack and awaiting coronary bypass surgery. Guy B, in his mid-60s, was retired, recovering from a life-threatening chest infection that had very nearly irreversibly damaged his heart. During our time together, we had some interesting three-way conversations. One lasted for almost an hour, by which time we were all exhausted. I listened to what they had to say, and they listened to me. Biblical Creation Proofs Pivotal to Evangelism by Rob Clark Originally published September 2016 It turned out that, in addition to his day job, Mr. A had once worked as a nightclub doorman and had a lifelong interest in motorbikes, rock music festivals, game shooting, and solstice gatherings. He also claimed to have seen UFOs and indicated that he dabbled in so-called soft drugs. Coincidentally, Guy B, another music festival fan, had also worked as a nightclub doorman and attended solstice gatherings. He seemed to be a bit of a new ager and frequently joked about having the devil sit on his shoulder. During the conversation, I pretty much laid out the whole of history from a Christian biblical standpoint in a nutshell, so to speak. I was pleased to get the opportunity briefly to explain why I believe in creation rather than evolution, and to be able to talk about differing worldviews, faith, and philosophy. I asked these guys to consider the fact that we all believe things that we can't prove to be true, and that our interpretation of the things we see and touch, the facts, vary according to our worldview. Guy A neither agreed nor disagreed with what I was saying, but was willing to engage. Guy B politely but frequently stated his opposition to what I was saying. I got the impression he was speaking for both of them. I assured him that I wasn't offended by his views and that as a late convert to Christianity, I had once held similar views. He seemed to be taken aback by the things I had said saying that he had never thought about faith and philosophy in that way before. He said that it was the second important thing he had learnt whilst in hospital, the first being that he was now determined to make the most of the rest of his life. I went on to briefly tell of our fallen nature and why Jesus had come to rescue us. I asked them both if I could get them a copy of the booklet, What on Earth is God Doing? Making Sense of Our Troubled World, A Biblical Christian Worldview and they willingly agreed and accepted these when my wife brought them in later. Guy A thanked me and, unprompted by me, Guy B promised that he would read it. I was discharged from the hospital that same evening, so I don't know if my time with these guys will bear fruit. I certainly pray that the seed of the gospel will take root and that God will bring them to salvation in Christ.
The other opportunity to witness came during my next admission to the cardiac unit of the same hospital. This time I found myself responding to the comments of a guy in the bed opposite. Let's call him Guy C. I had been chatting with him and at some point I mentioned that I'm a Christian. I don't remember exactly what I said, but he later picked up on it. He said he didn't want to offend me or anything, but that he didn't hold with religion at all. I assured him that he could say whatever he wanted and that I would not be offended. Guy C. began by saying that if there was a God that cared for us, there wouldn't be all the awful things we see happening in the world. I attempted to explain that the problems in the world are not of God's doing, but our own, that if a nation follows after God, there will be blessing. But when a nation turns away from God, calamity will follow. Before I could say any more, he commented on there being many different religions all looking to the same God. I guess he was objecting to the concept of God in general. His perspective was perhaps much the same as mine before I accepted the gospel as God's word and came to know Christ as my savior. As an unbeliever, I remember thinking that religions can't all be right, so they must all be wrong. During my interaction with this guy, I was very aware that I should be trying to engage with him rather than preach at him. I'm certainly no skilled evangelist and, and probably like many listening to this, I find this difficult. Sometimes we can find ourselves blurting out what we believe, not giving the other person a chance to speak. Sadly, our good intentions can put him or her off from even listening to what we have to say, ruining our chance of sharing the gospel of Christ. So then, I briefly mentioned that the Bible teaches that there is only one true God, the God of the Bible, and one true faith. I guessed correctly that he wouldn't accept this. Wanting to give him the opportunity to speak, I asked him if he had any ideas for solving the world's troubles. He didn't have an answer, and seemed agitated that I had even asked. Perhaps, like many others, he was either blaming God for all the world's troubles, or rejecting the existence of God because of the troubles. Guy C. boldly declared his belief in evolution, went on to say that he believed in the survival of the fittest. Looking around the hospital ward, I thought to myself, none of us look very fit, which almost made me smile. I resisted, however, saying, you're talking about natural selection. Yes, he said. That's not evolution, I responded. He went very quiet and looked confused. I don't think he expected me to respond. Perhaps he considered his comment to be a knockout blow to his fellow Christian patient, nullifying any notion of God. In all probability, like many others duped into thinking that evolution is a proven fact and that natural selection is evidence for evolution, he was using this to justify his rejection of God. I went on to mention that television programs frequently give examples of natural selection, yet incorrectly refer to it as evolution. I endeavored to explain that natural selection does occur, but that it's not the kind of change required for microbes to man evolution to occur. Also, that as the name indicates, natural selection simply selects from what already exists, including DNA information, without adding anything new to a creature. I attempted to explain that certain characteristics can be beneficial to a creature's survival in a particular environment. On the other hand, those creatures with unsuitable characteristics for that environment tend not to survive, 
so that overall this kind of change eventually weakens a creature. At that point he told me I was making him very angry. He said something about not knowing enough about these things, and that he didn't want to talk about it anymore. I assured him that this was not my intention to make him angry, and politely reminded him that it was he that had begun the conversation, and that I was simply responding to what he had said. Then, bringing the conversation to a close, I asked Guy C. if he would accept a small booklet explaining the biblical Christian position, without any obligation on his part. He acknowledged that he had started the conversation, but refused to take the booklet. For a while, he avoided eye contact with me, which was a bit awkward given that he was in the opposite bed. However, I continued to show myself friendly, managing to break the ice. From then on, respecting his wishes, we conversed about everyday things and got along just fine. I had hoped to eventually get around to sharing the gospel message with him, but sadly that didn't happen. I pray that what I said to my fellow patients will go some way towards encouraging them to reconsider seriously the state of their lives, that their hearts will be open to the gospel, and that ultimately they will come to know Jesus as Savior. The things I said didn't result in an immediate change of the heart in these guys, but when you think about it, that's not at all surprising. Each had a starting position, their worldview, from which they felt they had good reason to reject God. Their rejection reflected what they had been taught throughout their whole lives. Evolution. Let's be honest. When it comes to the Western world's teachings on the origin of man and life on earth, we hear little else. It was very clear to me that the things I mentioned regarding the natural world and how it fits with the biblical account of earth's history were completely new to these guys. This shows why, in our secular culture, we Christians need to look closely at our approach to evangelism. If people are rejecting the very notion of God because they believe in evolution, and it seems to me that they most certainly are, we need to prepare the ground before attempting to sow our gospel seed. Simply presenting someone with a gospel tract is much less likely to be fruitful these days. It will most likely hit straight for the waste bin. Almost everywhere you look, news media, television, schools, and everything else, evolution is assumed and presented as fact. The biblical account of life on earth is either not mentioned at all, or is distorted and ridiculed. Consider also that, having rejected God on the grounds of belief in evolution, the guys I met were hardly likely to give the time of day to the church's message of salvation in Jesus, and their views are pretty much the norm today. Even the popular belief in aliens and extraterrestrial civilizations, which reared its head during our earlier conversation, stems from an evolutionary worldview. It's commonly believed that, if life evolved here on Earth, it also must have evolved somewhere else out there in the vast reaches of the universe. Our adversary, the devil, takes full advantage of such beliefs, as Creation Ministries International's Gary Bates has often pointed out. If we truly want to reach our communities with the gospel message, we cannot simply present the truth and sit back and wait for the folk to respond. We need to prepare the ground first. We must first persuade men and women that the gospel is worth considering. To quote the scripture, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 2 Corinthians 5.11 We need to stand firm in the face of opposition, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15. 
Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We need a coherent approach to sharing the gospel message, reflecting the whole of God's word. As it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Currently, to our shame, millions of people, including many of our neighbors, have no idea that there is a biblical alternative to evolution. They have never been shown the flaws in the evolutionary hypothesis, and they certainly don't know the strength of the evidence for a creation thousands, not billions, of years ago. It's up to us to enlighten them, to challenge their assumptions, and to present the biblical account. In God's strength, we can do this. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. For the gospel to be fully understood, our message must be built on the firm foundation of God's word. People need to be aware of the Bible's account of history and of the predicament we are in. It's true that many will reject the biblical account, but one thing is certain. If they never get to hear about it, because we were afraid of looking foolish, they'll never even be able to consider it. On the other hand, if we take God's word seriously and are willing to appear foolish in the eyes of those who think themselves wise, we can confidently and unashamedly go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Mark 16, 15 To those in our churches who suggest that the creation and evolution debate is just a side issue, which should be avoided for the sake of the gospel, I say think again. It's not talking about creation that prevents people from considering the gospel of Jesus Christ, rather a belief in evolution. Recently, Sherry L., who identified herself as an indigenous Australian, phoned Creation Ministries International to voice her support, saying to us, Teaching on creation is very, very vital. It is very, very key. There is no point in giving John 3.16 to people who are into animism or other naturalistic beliefs. She finished by saying, If you get Genesis, you get the rest of the Bible. How true that is. Ignoring clear Bible teachings just because they don't fit with current secular thinking is not an option for us. Dr. Jonathan Sarfati's best-selling book, The Genesis Account, is some 800 pages long. This book is arguably the most comprehensive book on biblical creation ever written, and it comes from the author of some most well-known books on the subject, including Refuting Evolution, which remains the largest-selling creation book of all time. Our team of scientists and specialists at Creation Ministries International and our video production team worked hard for almost two years to bring you the information of the Genesis account in a Bible study course. And we're excited to tell you that it's now available, the Genesis Academy. This new 12-part course makes it easy to continue the teaching on origins in further depth. Targeted to lay audiences, each video in the 12-part series is no more than 40 minutes in length, so it's ideal for adult and teen Sunday school, Bible studies, or even Sunday night screenings. 
All the presentations have high quality visuals and footage to keep viewers engaged. Many believers are excited to learn more to face skeptics' challenges. Our hope is that the Genesis Academy will become an essential staple for every church. It is so important to get correct understanding of the Bible's foundational chapters right, and this series achieves just that. Comes with a free online study guide so that you can follow along. Available now in the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, and Europe, and a few other countries. Get the Genesis Academy for your group today at creation.com academy. I am Joseph Darnell. For everyone at CMI, thanks for listening.